the Just Saying podcast is proud to have Our Riveter as our sponsor. Our Riveter doesn't hire military spouses to make handbags. They make handbags to hire military spouses. To shop these bags on a mission, please visit ourriveter.com. Use code BRIEF at checkout for 15% off all signature collection items. Welcome to the podcast, Just Saying. My name is Joe McCormick. I'm your host. In our episode today, we are going to review two articles from Harvard Business Review on collaboration and if excessive engagement leads to thriving or burnout. It's all about collaboration and concentration. It's a throwdown. If you're new to the podcast, I'm really happy that you found us. And if you've been here before, I'm excited thrilled that you're back. Please spread the word. The point of this podcast is to help you become an intentional communicator. I've written a book called Brief, Make a Bigger Impact by Saying Less, which is about how to become a clear and concise communicator. And I've written a book called Noise, Living and Leading When Nobody Can Focus, which is about how to manage distractions and find focus through concentration and quiet, saying no to noise. And in our podcast, I really are tack- I'm tackling both of those books. And we've got programs from the Brief Lab, which are brief courses on communication and concise communication. And we've got a new program called Quiet Works, which is around making silence the secret ingredient of your, of your day. And when we think about those two books, brief, brief, brief is around improving the quality of collaboration. And Quiet Works is around introducing quiet and concentration and do those things actually coexist in the workplace not really should they absolutely and i'm setting out and making my goal professionally to solve for both of them through those two programs now when you think about how people communicate and how poorly or how well they are that's what drives really, really quality collaboration. That's what these two articles that I found talk about. Um, There is so much access. There's so much inefficiencies. There's so much thoughtlessness in how people communicate. During the day, the value is collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. But where is the quality, not the quantity, of collaboration? Meetings are great, but are they effective uses of people's times? Not so much. You've got messaging and texting and Slack messages in Microsoft Teams and all these tools, but are they effectively used to help people collaborate and connect with each other? We work in a, we are, we're in a hybrid work environment where people go into work, they work from home, they do both, and they're always on 24-7. So I was fortunate enough to find two articles pretty much at the same time, and they really relate to each other. Um, and the whole driving thing is, what is enough enough, enough collaboration enough? And am I getting enough or too much or too little, too many? And what really equates to meaningful, more meaningful work? Okay, so as we're reimagining the workplace going in a post-COVID world, what does that look like? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a brief article review of these two different Harvard Business Review articles. One is from Microsoft. It's a, a Microsoft study. And the other one is from a professor at Babson College around collaboration and where it goes wrong. 
So let me start with the Microsoft study. And the, this will be in the show notes. The article from Harvard Business Review is from June 24th of this year. And the title is, Why Microsoft Measures Employee, Employee Thriving, Not Engagement. That's the, that's the title. So let me just take you through that, my synopsis of the study and what my key takeaways were. The basic point of this research revealed that engagement, employee engagement, isn't the key to employee happiness. That was, that was, the, that was the main driving finding. If you think about employee engagement, there's a lot of different definitions, and I'm not going to try to define it right now, but it's about really the how connected are our employees to each other, how engaged. Are they disengaged or disconnected? They feel like they're siloed off on an island. I don't, I don't feel like I'm part of a great whole. And, and corporations have been and continue to measure employee engagement. They do engagement surveys every year, and how well they're doing as, in, as a company oftentimes comes down to these engagement surveys. So Microsoft cares about these things deeply and set out two people to research that and found that it wasn't really engagement, it's thriving that was really the key to employee happiness. And at Microsoft, they specifically defined thriving as, quote, to be energized and empowered to do meaningful work, end quote. So that was what they described as thriving. And they found mechanisms, surveys, to actually measure how thriving their employees are. Fascinating in and of itself, fascinating to be how energized are you and how empowered are you? And underlying that, they found this, this little nugget called autonomy. How autonomous am I? The ability to be I'm, I'm empowered. I can do meaningful work. I'm not being limited by some other factor or person or function to do meaningful work. So now it's not engagement, it's really thriving that they're measuring. That was the big sort of aha. I read, I read the research article and the one I'm summarizing right now, and I, I want to go a bit deeper because there's something that was really interesting, kind of a nugget in there that I, th- I don't know if they talked about enough. What they talked about were sort of two things, and they're different. One is how people were thriving at work And then they made the distinction that that's not the same as work-life balance, what happens outside of work. Well, it doesn't take a genius to to observe that the lines between being at work and outside of work are blurred now completely because we live in a remote, hybrid work environment now. So you're you're measuring thriving, how happy I'm at work. And then they say, well, that's not actually work-life balance. That's a separate thing. So then they further started doing more research on that, on the balances when people are thriving at work, but the work-life balance is suffering, or the people that have a great work-life balance but don't really feel like they're thriving at work. So they started getting data on both, okay? And the thriving was high, scores were high, but the work-life balances were low, and then vice versa, the, the, the thriving numbers were low, but the work-life balance was high. And then they started, and here was the nugget that I found that I think is just a little bit of a time bomb. I'm going to read this paragraph. It sounds a bit technical, but I think it's revealing. It says, by combining sentiment data with de-identified calendar and email metadata, we found that those with the best of both worlds had five fewer hours in their work week span, five fewer collaboration hours, 
three more focus hours, and 17 fewer employees in their internal network size, period. Wow. Recap that. If I have the best of both worlds, I'm thriving at work, and I have good work-life balance, what's present with me for those people are they have more time to think. They have more quiet time in their day to focus. They have fewer people bugging them and trying to collaborate with them. Wow, that's really revealing. And I continue in the paragraph. This reinforces what we know from earlier work-life balance research and network size analysis, which showed us that increased collaboration does have a negative impact on employees' perception of work-life balance. It also confirms that collaboration is not inherently bad for many employees. Those times of close teamwork and striving toward a common goal can be can fuel thriving. However, it is important to be mindful of how intense collaboration can impact work-life balance. And leaders and employees alike should guard against that intensity becoming 24-7. In other words, you're overdoing it. Your, Your employees are on all the time. They can never turn it off. That's the key takeaway of the study. You need to give people the autonomy to not only thrive at work, but also have work-life balance by inserting quiet into your day to allow people time to work, to think, to read, reflect, decide, choose, time to be offline, not always accessible. And that is the key, the balance of those two things in that subset of data that they found are those statistics, which are really revealing. That's the Harvard Business Review study from the from Microsoft study from Harvard Business Review was published. Now let's change gears to another Harvard Business Review piece um, authored by a guy at, at Babson College. His name is Rob Cross, and he's a professor at Babson, and he penned an article for HBR, Harvard Business Review, called Where We Go Wrong with Collaboration. And his big revelation is we can overdo it, and we often do. It's it's really revealing in the causes of why that happens. And it's all because we fall prey to a set of beliefs that let this happen. We believe falsely that this stuff happens. Now, as a side note, before I get into this article and summarize it, I want to point you back to thequietworkplace.com to a position paper that I wrote called Quiet Works. And in that, there are, I've set out a set of beliefs that change these behaviors. And this article just confirms it, okay? There's a set of principles and practices that you would follow to get meaningful work done. And people falsely believe a bunch of stuff that allows them or enables other people to over-collaborate with you. So I can't stop people from coming because we all believe these things. And they and this 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 guy did research to of 600 people to to talk about this and to, and to provide insight. Now, in the article, he said that pre-COVID, 
Um, people spend 85% or more of their time each week in collaborative work, which he characterized as answering emails, instant messaging, in meetings, and using other team collaboration tools and spaces. And then that, that number has grown after COVID, through and after COVID. Now, right in the beginning of COVID, that number went down. I did a podcast on this in 2020 called The World Was Forced to Pause or something like that. And the idea is right during COVID, everything just went really, really quiet. And everybody is like, wow, this is crazy. I don't have any evening events and there's no meetings on my calendar. I'm not flying anywhere. I mean, everything. And I have time to actually think about things because nobody's calling me. And then the world realized, well, we're not going back to work. So we're going to start collaborating like more than ever. And then you create something called Zoom fatigue. Now, as a side note, I love Zoom and I think Zoom is an incredibly great collaboration tool. So don't blame the tool. But blame people's desire, and this article reveals why we over-collaborate, why we're always on and we can't stop. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, his questions and restate them just to kind of simplify, because they're kind of written in like survey language, and I'll rephrase them in kind of basic language. Here goes. Here's his first question in his survey. My desire to help others makes me too easy an outlet for collaborative requests. In other words, I say yes all the time. That was the first one. Next, my sense of fulfillment from accomplishment leads me to engage in collaborative work that creates overload. In other words, I can't get enough, so I seek more and more. Third, my desire to be influential or recognized for my expertise creates excessive reliance on me. In other words, I'm a need-to-know-it-all info magnet. We continue. My concern with being labeled a poor performer leads me to engage in collaborations that create overload. In other words, I'm not good enough, so abuse me with more information. Next, my need to be right leads me to spend too much time preparing for and engaging in collaborative activities. In other words, perfection leads to constant communication. Moving right along, fear of losing control of a project or a belief that I am the most capable person to do the work well keeps me from delegating tasks or connecting people around me. I'm needed for everything, so I need to know everything. He continues, my need for closure results in communications that create unnecessary work and stress for others and drive future interactions back to me. In other words, everything starts, ends, and circles back to me. My discomfort with ambiguity and managing adaptation as a project unfolds results in excessive collaborative work to overly perfect or obtain buy-in for a plan. In other words, it has to be picture perfectly clear and we'll go deep into the weeds to get there. Finally, fear of missing out drives me to engage in collaborative work that creates overload. In other words, I'm afraid that I need to know and you must tell me everything. So that's that. So the so what is challenge these beliefs, say no, not now, set aside quiet time, right, to put collaboration back in balance. So that's the overview of two articles, very revealing. I'll put those in the show notes. Collaboration and concentration can coexist. Collaboration needs to coexist with quiet. To be energized and empowered to do meaningful work. In the words of Microsoft, less talking, more thinking. You've heard that before? Just saying.